I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil. Those watchmen of the walls, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell him I am sick with love. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved, that you thus adjure us? My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among ten thousand. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water. Bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool, his cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns, set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Others. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned, that we may seek him with you? She. My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. This is God's word. So, uh, so what I'm, uh, what the Bible shares with us this morning, and uh, and what I'm about to uh, tell you uh, more about this morning, is one of the main reasons why uh, a lot of people, um, not a lot of people, but uh, that why people in general uh, decide never to get hitched in the first place. Okay, never to uh, tie the knot or um, uh, settle down. And, and we saw um, for the last three weeks, right, we've seen this relationship form, right, a beautiful romance. It's been exciting and adventurous. And you see all that, like, just the, the raw, like, amazing awesomeness of the beginning of a relationship. And all that happens. And then it leads up to this, this you know, climax of, of a marriage relationship now. And it's, it's been so beautiful. And there's almost been uh, no real frustration or no crises or anything like that. It's just been perfect, picture perfect. And that's the problem. <laughs> so now, now, we're in, now we're in the marriage, right? And all of a sudden it's like, oh, now crises are starting to happen. <laughs> and, 
And that's kind of some of the reason why people don't want to settle down. Uh, because every marriage, right, faces problems. Um, as soon as we get into a marriage relationship, it's like all of a sudden all the excitement's over. What happens there? Um, and the problem is not marriage. Uh, God built us for marriage. He gave us marriage to bless us and, and the whole world that he made. Uh, the beginning of the Bible uh, shares that and tells us that. Uh, so, so the problem is not with marriage. Uh, the problem is with us. Marriage faces all the problems, all the difficult dynamics that is in every marriage, right? That all happens because there are two sinners who come together and they say, I do. So that's why there, there's conflict. That's why there are problems. We are deeply flawed. The problem's not with marriage. The problem is, is within us. And so we're sinful. And so today I wanted to address um, the three marriage problems every marriage will face uh, that we kind of see glimpses of in, in, in the first part of this passage. And then I wanted us to, to look at some, prob- uh, some solutions to those problems. Um, so now if you're not married... Uh, this morning, uh, this still apri- applies to friendships. It applies to all the different types of relationships that we can have. So with mom, with dad, you know, with brother or sister or uh, cousin or a friend or a coworker. So um, it's just not as obvious. It's not as clear, right? So um, I'm trying to be very faithful to what we have before us and um, some of those other things we can in- infer as well with all relationships. But, um, so let's focus on this. So three common problems uh, within marriage. So let's see what they are. Um, but um, ha- have you ever had a nightmare and, and just, um, you know, you just woke up um, in the middle of the night because of that nightmare? And you're going, oh, like, I hope this isn't real. Oh, like, and you're just out of bed. You almost spring out of bed. Um, well, that kind of experience is sort of um, what happens in this story that we're reading about right here in this poem. Uh, the woman in this poem had a nightmare of sorts like that. Uh, verse 2, she, she describes this, right, dreamlike experience. She says, I slept, but my heart was awake. Um, so there's a cue there that this is, this is kind of like another dream is happening. And, 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 and what it reveals is she was fearful. She was afraid, and it made her question her marriage. And I want to focus on what she questioned because I think these, the, what it illustrates are these, these three little uh, things, these common problems that we experience in marriage. And um, again, this, this, this poem describes a realistic marriage um, relationship, and it has a lot to teach us about ourselves. So let's look at these three things. Uh, the first one that I want to point out is, uh, first, frustration. The second is disappointment. And the third is loneliness. So those are the three that I want to focus on. So frustration. So verse 2. She's describing this dream. She says, A sound, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one. Um, so far, doesn't that sound so similar to what we, we heard? If we, if we scroll back, if we, if we go back uh, just a couple chapters earlier, chapter 2, right? Uh, verse 8, doesn't it sound so familiar? Remember the man who's, who came leaping and bounding over hills and crossing mountains, right, to get to his, 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 his woman? Um, you don't remember that? Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, babe. Now you remember, right? When a pastor has to embarrass himself to make a point, you remember that, right? So it's that, that same thing uh, coming and, and resurfacing here. Well, it's back to that same portrait again. Uh, the man is out on the outside trying to get in. 
And only this time they're married, and so he has every right to be able to come in now. And, and then she finishes what he says. She's, For my head is wet with dew, my locks uh, with the drops of the night. And so he wants to come in, but notice he requests access, not making a demand here. He has every right. Um, really quick on, on context, you know, this is not 21st century America, the year of the woman, 2018. This is patriarchal society, so he has every right to make demands, and she should deliver. And he doesn't. He just asks gently. So that's pretty unique and interesting, right? Knock, knock, can I come in? So he's a, he's a gentle lover, a, a good husband, and, and asking to now enjoy this relationship that, that they can mutually share and experience together. And so the natural thing is to assume that he's going to get that, that she would give that to him, right? Wrong. Wrong. The description we get is of him standing out in the rain, like dripping wet, soaking wet outside, and she's not opening that door. Dang, that's frustrating. Excuse me. Um, darn, that's frustrating, right? That's very frustrating. Marriage can be frustrating. That's the first thing we learn here. And according to, to one relationship therapist, uh, uh, Stephanie Maines, she says, more than money, kids, or any other marital woe, the most common issue married couples bring to my office is a struggle with sexual intimacy. Whether the problem is lack of interest or opportunity, Modern couples, especially those with children, often face an uphill battle to keep their sexual connection alive. And when it falters, spouses really do suffer. So, so frustration characterizes every marriage relationship. Um, and and then, then we read about another problem that we experience. The next thing is disappointment. So verse 3. The woman says in response to him asking, I had, I had put off my garment. How could I put it, put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? As if to say, I can't be inconvenienced right now, right? I just got into bed. You know, I just took it. You know, I got all ready. I'm already in bed now. I'm not going to get up. I can't cross the room. Like, literally, you can't get up out of bed and cross the room. Like, you're, this guy just leaped, you know, mountains to get over to you again, right? It's like, you're, not, you're really not going to do that? Um, so, you know, standing out in the rain, dripping wet, and you're not going to, and, and your response is basically, meh. Like, not, nothing, really? The same woman who, who wanted to, to passionately consume this man is now like, meh, right? <laughs> like, what is up with that? That's so weird. Like, why would you do that? Marriage can be disappointing like that. People can let us down. We, we might anticipate and hope for one thing, and then it turns out we, you know, we get into that situation and now things don't really line up to what our expectations were. We have misaligned expectations. Um, are you experiencing frustration and disappointment right now in your marriage? There's one more problem we can experience, though, and let's look at that now. Uh, the third one is loneliness. So look with me at verses 4 through 6. She says, My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid, liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolts. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. Well, now finally, Matt girl is like, yay, you know, too late. <laughs> like, she's, suddenly, right, she says, her heart is thrilled within me. Um, the Hebrew way of putting this is, is basically your innards, your intestines are, um, are in an uproar. And that's not that helpful for us. We're like, what does that mean? 
Um, but but what, what, it's that, that vexed experience of, of, um, of finally having you know, your love, your, your romance, that, that awareness reawakened again and ignited. And so now she deeply longs for him again. But uh, it's too late. Verse 6, I opened, but my beloved had turned and gone. And that's, that's frustrating. That's disappointing. But man, how lonely is that, right? To have, it's like just this reverse experience going on of, of the one wanting the other and the other wanting the other. And then it's just misaligned. They're out of touch with each other. She describes her agony now. My soul failed me. Others translate that as I literally died. Like, so she's just so crushed inside. Um, the man had called to her, sought after her, tried to open the door to her, and she wasn't ready. And now in reverse, it says, verse 6, I opened, then I sought, then I called. So she does respond, it's just too late. And it's crickets. And marriage can be lonely. Even marriage can be lonely. A marriage can go through a season or, or seasons, maybe long seasons, of, of not um, seeking the other and the other not responding. Seasons of being out of sync with each other, of, being, of feeling separated and alone when you should feel so together and united. And so have you ever felt that way in your marriage? Every marriage faces problems like this. And so if you are married, know you're not alone in facing the difficulties of marriage. The other thing I want to say is if you're not in a marriage relationship yet, if you're not married yet and you're thinking about getting married... I don't ever want you to be naive about the fact that you will encounter difficulties in marriage. Right? It, it's not a solution to fix all of your problems. So you will experience problems in any marriage. But I, I don't also, you know, in saying that, I don't want you to make to overcorrect and overadjust and make the opposite problem, which is basically, I ain't getting married. <laughs> like I'm not doing that. Right. So um, uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, he wrote this about love, uh, this quote, this great quote. He says, to, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And so I I don't want you to make the mistake of overcorrecting, right, and avoiding relationship out of fear of loss and and pain and loneliness and disappointment. Um, Love is worth the risk. Love is... Love outweighs all the problems that we experience in, in love. So problems abound in any, any relationship. Um, mentioned the three problems, uh, common problems in marriage, frustration, disappointment, and loneliness. Now I want to kind of take a turn to looking at some solutions to those problems um, within and without marriage. And so let's do that. Um, some solutions. So, so this, this dream cycle or dream sequence, it, it's continuing in, in, in about the same exact way as her dream did before they were married. Um, she, she runs outside now, uh, pursuing him in the stream. And instead of getting help from the watchmen, like chapter two, um, they, they attack her, right? So 
That's the other thing to note is this is a dream. So wacky things happen in dreams, right? I don't know the last, when was the last time you had a dream like, and you remembered it? I don't really remember my dreams anymore. So my, my wife remembers her dreams. But you know, sometimes it's just like as you're describing and recounting the dream, it's like, yeah, I'm not really sure. I, I was kind of scared in my dream. But now that I think about that dream, it was kind of, it didn't make much sense. <laughs> like, you know. But what, what I think it's getting at here is that um, she's feeling the sense of, of guilt or, or punishment for denying her own husband. And so that's kind of what this assaulting language there is. And she's experiencing some, some regret uh, for saying no to him. And all, all it does is fuel her fire. Uh, she wants to mend the relationship. She wants to seek restoration and reconciliation. And, and she chases after her. And, and so she recruits. She gets the daughters of Jerusalem to come and, and help her. Um, and they ask what's so special about him to help her with this. And so she goes uh, and gives them, in, in, in verses 10 through 16, she gives them uh, a description of him that's so lovely. And it's, it's a wasif. Does anybody remember what a wasif is? is like last week we talked about wasif. Anybody? It's, it's basically, yeah, there, there it is, head to toe. That's right. Thank you. Um, it's, 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 it's describing the person that you love in a way, you know, from head to toe, or basically like checking them out. Like, you know, it's like in saying what you love about them, what's so lovely. And so, so she does that, verses 10 through 16, a wasif, and, um, and describes him. And, and so after she, she describes what she loves about him so much, the others decide to help in this search. They say in chapter 6, verse 1, Where is your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? Um, so, so she recruits them, but then something crazy happens, something crazy. It's like she wakes up from this dream because the problems she had were once, once had are now gone. So verse, verses two and three, my beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. And so, I mean, we've seen her express her fears. And now we come to see that they were unfounded. That she is safe in her lover's arms now. Safe and sound. Back in her garden, um, the, the problems are solved because they, they, they belong to each other. And as, as problematic as things could possibly get between them, they're not leaving each other. And you see, the problems that we experience of, of frustration and, and disappointment and loneliness and sexual intima- intimacy and communication barriers, all of those things are not the problem. Those are symptoms of the deeper problem. If we want to find the solution to any problem we have in a marriage, we have to look at, we have to find the real problem. And the real problem is that we are selfish, and we are unwilling to sacrificially give to another person. That's the root problem. All of us invert what the girl just said in verse 3. She said, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Um, and a seminary professor I once had, Ian Duguid, he pointed out, <laughs> we reverse that, and instead of saying that, right, every single day, what, what is it that we struggle with? We struggle with, with this. We want to say, I am my beloved's and I am mine. Right? I, I get to make the rules. I get to set the terms. I'm the one in charge. That's our problem. 
that we are still stuck in this, we're the center of the universe, we rule our little world, we call the shots, we make our destiny, um, and centers around me. And, 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 And that needs to be dethroned if we're going to resolve conflict in our marriages and conflict in our relationships with each other. Because the foundation of marriage is a rejection of I am my beloved's and I am mine. The starting point of even what it means to be a Christian is a rejection of the creed, I am my own. It's like, the starting point is, I am not my own. Not I am my own. I get to set the terms, but God sets the terms. It's a reversal, a dismissal of uh, the catechism that we all believe right now, which is, you know, what is the chief end of God to glorify me and make me happy forever? Right? Like, no, that's not the chief. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We, we reverse all of that. And, and what I'm trying to get at here is that we, we need a complete overhaul of even how we view marriage today, of what marriage is and what it's for and how we view relationships with each other. And so, I mean, by default, we, we operate uh, with a, a consumer view of marriage. That in Western culture and in, in American culture, um, do you know what it is that, that really determines and dictates what we say and what we do and how we spend our time? Is it religion? Nope. Is it, it might be football. No. Is it parents? Is it the marketplace? Let me say, is it the marketplace? Yeah, it's the marketplace. Let's say why. We are what we eat. <laughs> I mean, very crassly, we are what we consume or, or buy or we click. And so um, kind of like, like picking out what we wear and, and what we're doing with our time, what we're eating, um, we, we treat relationships in that same way, like marketplace exchanges, like trades. We're consumers, and so if my needs aren't met, I can walk out. If my preferences are not satisfied, according to my Chipotle burrito bowl customized order, right? I'm going to put exactly in, no, not too many beans. No, this is, you know, what I want in my order. Then I'm out. And we treat marriage like a business deal. We treat people like they're a service provider that I can drop for a better deal or a discount or another option. I don't have to go to your business, right? Um, and, and so... so what we need is a view of marriage that is not consumeristic, but is covenantal. That has a deeper, more stable foundation that, that it can say, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Or as we read in the, in, from Genesis to Revelation, I will be your God and you will be my people. A relationship of, of promise, of stability, of not flitting, fleeting feeling but pronouncement upon us, a declaration that I am yours and you are mine, full stop. I mean, look, look every, every relationship, even, even the best marriage, it's going to at some point have a dry spell, a dry season of time. Your feelings won't be there every moment. And, and when that happens, remember the view of marriage that the Bible gives us, right? This, this covenantal view, not a consumer view. It's built on promise, not fleeting feeling. And, and so, and act accordingly. So, so it's nice when all the, good, all the good feels, 
all the butterfly moments, right, of like when you're first entering a relationship, when those are present. But sometimes those aren't going to be present. And so, um, you know, you might have to just act loving and kind until those feelings come back. Um, And over time, after doing that again and again, the feelings do come back and dry spells can be over. And so if, if we know our, our Bibles well enough, though, this language of, of searching, right, seeking after and finding, calling, it, that language should sound familiar to us. Um, in the Old Testament, in, in the prophets and wisdom literature, these words are common. And as the woman searches for the man or the man was searching the woman, for the woman, so our hearts should search and pant for God, um, for the living God. So Jeremiah 29 Verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. We heard this in the call to worship. Declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Or Psalm 42. The psalmist sings, As deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And, and I, I, bringing this up, because the language calls us back to this language, calls us back to, to see this deeper meaning of, of what marriage is even for. And, and it's reminding us that you know, we come to marriage with all kinds of needs and wants, with desires and, and hopes and dreams. And if we're looking for marriage to be the, the God-shaped and God-sized vacuum that our hearts have, we will never be filled or full or satisfied. When the crowds misplaced their, their trust in the food Jesus gave them in a miracle in, in John, the Gospel of John, they trusted in the provision of bread rather than the provider of bread. So in John six thirty five, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Never be thirsty again. Never be hungry again. We might be looking to marriage to be the end-all and be-all to something that marriage was never intended to fix in the first place. Marriage can't quench our, our thirst for God. At its best, it's meant to point us beyond marriage to the Christ who has loved and saved his church. And so ultimately, marriage is a picture of the gospel. That, that, that God so loved that he gave us his son. And the gospel helps our marriages, helps us in our marriages in this way. In the same way that God looks at us in the gospel, seeing us not as who we are in ourselves, but who we are as we put on Christ. So God looks at me, and, and in place of my sin, he sees a sinless Savior. And God looks at me, and instead of seeing filthy rags, he sees the righteous robes of Christ that I have on. So in marriage, the gospel starts to look like this, that, that when our spouse does wrong, does us wrong, we can get to the point of even saying, I see your imperfections, I see your flaws, I see your failures really up close, and, but be behind them, right, behind those flaws, I see the person who God created you to be, I see the person who God is making you into day by day, and shaping you into, and I'm going to stick with you until the end. Only the gospel can free us uh, to respond that way to another fellow sinner who, likes us, stands in, needs, in need of God's grace every day.
And so, I mean, uh, to kind of to wrap this up, find, find your satisfaction and your fulfillment, your ultimate love in a relationship with Jesus. Trust him. Trust in the one who, who has never once been unfaithful to us, even when we have been faithless and unfaithful time and time again. God and Jesus Christ will never leave you nor forsake you, even if you have been forsaken by someone else and you felt that pain. And even if you've never had the chance of, 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 of experiencing such intimacy like we've seen in this, in this poem, you haven't had that in your life, God is closer to you in Christ. He is nearer to you. He is dearer to you in Christ than even the closest lover and the closest friend will ever be. Be satisfied in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are not our own. That is such, sounds like bad news at first, but it becomes such good news because we belong to you. Someone who can care for us much better than we can care for ourselves is caring for us, Father. Thank you for that message of, of grace in our lives and that message of hope that you love us and that you will stick near to us. And in our disappointments and our pain and our frustration, um, even though those, things, those are things that we experience, those are problems that we encounter on the daily in our relationships with everyone, uh, we, we thank you, Father, that You've bridged that brokenness in your son, Jesus. In Christ, you were broken for us so that we would be healed, so we would find beauty again, we would find love again. And so, Father, I ask that you would cultivate that love deep in us, that we would be able to embrace, once again, who we are, as created by you, and who you are as our creator, and as those who've been redeemed by you in Christ. So thank you, Father. Amen.